In today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. Fortunately, the frame that we've had so far has been this engagement versus non-engagement, which is which is the wrong frame. We should always engage, but we should have principles and we need to be able to develop as a community what those principles are. Otherwise, you're really just engaging in the same way that a doormat engages with a boot. If you focus on violence externally and focus on whatever activists really happen to focus on, which is all external conditions and neglect the internal, this is the most godless way of approaching change. It's really just uh, turning Muslim leaders into agents of the government. And our community not having um, independence, uh, theological independence, religious independence, and being, being able to set our own agenda, have our own leadership, and uh, set our own priorities. There is a disconnect between the Islamic teachings and what they're doing out there. And I think it has to do with this gap that the masjid is not fulfilling right now, where they can show them how to apply you know, these principles you're being taught in the masjid and in Islam in a real-world scenario. Where is the Muslim community anchored? I mean, if it's not anchored at the masjid, um, somebody else will decide to anchor it for us. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the uh, Iman Wire podcast. I'm Muhammad Salim from Iman Wire. I'm joined by Dr. Muhammad Gilan, and we have a special guest with us, uh, Ahmed Sheikh, who is a lawyer um, specialized in estate planning, also is on the ISNA um, Executive Council. Welcome, Ahmed. Welcome, uh, Dr. Gailan. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're uh, going to probably talk about a, a few different topics today, but they're all sort of related to Muslim leadership, particularly uh, young Muslims coming up and being put in leadership positions. And I think, Ahmed, you can, you can uh, you'll have some good insight into this. One of the things I think that you have been very outspoken about, Ahmed, is the role of governments, the role of organizations in how they put up leaders in front of us as the Muslim community. And you've talked in the past about how, for example, there's a conflict of interest, for example, for, for, for people in uh, regards to uh, countering violent extremism, CVE, as well as other programs. I was uh, hoping maybe you could start us off with that, and then we could just uh, talk about some of the points that you raise uh, and discuss just the, the general idea of Muslim leadership. Right. Um so we tend to be a community that tends to like to specialize, and we are often very deferential to others when people rise up and say, I have expertise in a particular area. That just tends to happen. And a lot of the times, this ex- this trust or confidence that we have in people can be misplaced, um, and, and it can be subject to, to abuse. And this happened... At least in my view, I, I, I saw it during this whole thing with countering violent extremism because in the Los Angeles area, which is where I am, um, we were one of three pilot program cities that were represented at the White House. This was uh, early in 2015. And uh, there were some delegations that came from all of these cities. And when they came back, the delegations came back, that's when a lot of the controversy happened as to who were these people, how did this happen, and uh, and then it goes beyond that into the entire industry. So there were a lot of organizations uh, inside the Muslim community and outside the Muslim community that had substantive disagreements with the whole CVE framework, um, primarily having to do with constitutional law, equal protection under the law, um, those sorts of things. My interest was somewhat different or the type of the type of um, topics I added to the conversation had to do primarily with 
the potential for leadership within the Muslim community to be corrupted by government, the government process, essentially turning people, Muslim leaders, into security contractors or turning security contractors who happen to be Muslim into Muslim leaders. And, uh, and that's something that uh, we, as a community, need to be able to guard against just because we want to make sure that our agenda is authentic and that Islam doesn't get turned into essentially a joke, um, which, which often seems to happen when government gets involved too heavily with, uh, in the religious sphere. That's interesting that you point that out. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, it's interesting that you, um, your main concern uh, correct me if I'm uh, if I misunderstood, but it sounds like your main concern is really more about uh, the securitization aspect of it, as opposed to the very principle of uh, ter- of looking at uh, the Muslim community as uh, an other, as something that has to be looked at and and kind of isolated and and examined in a different light. Um, so if 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 this concern about security is alleviated. Do you not see a problem with looking at Muslims in that in, in a different light uh, as opposed to other communities? Well, of course, I do see that as a concern. I, I share all of the concerns that exist, say, for example, with the ACLU, and I used to be on the board of the local ACLU, or um, with uh, you know CARE or any of these other organizations that had very legitimate concerns. However, my role with respect to discussing CVE wasn't to simply mimic those concerns or amen them, but there were there was there was another aspect to it that a lot of these organizations really didn't address or couldn't really touch because a lot of this had to do with people from within the Muslim community who were acting as uh, security contractors. And and that's not something that is largely addressed because addressed because it's not it's not necessarily seen as being that uh, that polite, really. I mean, if you if you talk about the government, or uh, you know, you have an adversarial relationship with the FBI, um, that's something that people can wrap their heads around. People do understand why it is that we're against CVE because of the history of the Muslim community and the FBI, which is a completely toxic relationship, and everybody knows it. And uh, and it's kind of easy to be able to discuss that. But what's not necessarily discussed is the fact that the FBI and the LAPD go around appointing their favorite Muslim leaders and uh, getting, putting them, giving them the podium and saying, hey, this is the Muslim leader that's, uh, that we're working with. But of course, there's, a, there's this, it's not necessarily even a conflict of interest so much as, a, um, as a, um, what I used to refer to, or I still do, as, as an astroturfing um, within the Muslim community. Thing is about this is, um, uh, while it may have started off as the LAPD, FBI, all of these different uh, security agencies uh, looking for particular leaders, um, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that um, it has evolved a little bit now, where you have genuinely concerned Muslims that are concerned about radicalization, extremism, and all of that stuff, and they're on their own will from their own will going to these agencies and saying, listen, I want to work with you. Um, not for the sake of getting any money or any favors, but they just feel like it's now become a patriotic duty for them to um, uh, point out these issues. So where do these people fit in in this kind of um, scheme? Well, now you're saying they're going to the government. What can the government do for them? 
the argument that they present is uh, resources. If they, they can get money, they can get funding, they can get um, uh, support of any kind. That they but you just can. said that they don't want money. No, no. Money for uh, starting programs, not money for like salaries or anything like that. I'm talking about just for organizational purposes. So if they want to have a program where they need funding for the program, the community is kind of right. tired from all the charity work and all that. They're not donating enough. So they go to the government for as a non as a nonprofit charitable organization, and they say we have this program that when it start off is going to cost us this much, and the government now is going to fund it not for the sake of them making money and putting it in their own bank accounts, but to just fund these programs that they want to start up. So that's why that's from right. what I've been gathering from a, a few leaders. That's what they're doing. There are a few things with respect to nonprofits. In many respects, there isn't a huge difference between. Uh, for-profits and non-profits in many important respects. One of them is, of course, that non-profits have to pay salaries. It's not like they don't work for free. Of course. Um, and uh, the, other, the other aspect of it, and this, this is something that has happened, is that Muslims from non-profits might move into government and security positions, might move into other places where there are government contracts that, that exists. Of course, we all know that, uh, say, for example, universities are well-known nonprofit institutions that take an immense amount of money from the national security state. So, um, and and they're, they could be quite lucrative as well. Um, that, that starts out maybe a little bit low. I mean, we do have a, um, we do have many different types of programs where the government funds Muslims. Um, and, and I noticed this, uh, um, I, I noticed this from the very beginning. There were several Muslims who were being funded through the Department of Homeland Security pretty early on. And, uh, and then, um, then they were becoming sort of the subject matter experts and becoming the experts on countering violent extremism. This is, of course, a subject that was, uh, that was unknown just a few years ago. But they become experts by virtue of the fact that the government tells them that, uh, you know, gives them, gives them uh, a contract to... Uh, to become experts on this subject, and they might also say that you know we are we're a community-based organization. They'll use that a lot. They'll say things like grassroots. Yes. Um, they'll use all of these terms. They'll, they'll talk about civil society, but at the same time, there's all of this government money that is involved, and then it's a it's a government agenda that is not necessarily It's not just. It's not just the case that they are trying to define Islam or problematize Islam. Um, it's, uh, it's of course part of, that is part of it, but it's also the case that they get to, uh, they get to be part of the Muslim community in the sense that they are, they are, uh, raised up as the, as the experts in this particular subject. And so I, I recall when this, in the early days of this, uh, this countering violent extremism, there's this one organization that put together a a program for countering violent extremism. It was a fairly lengthy document that uh, um, that had a whole bunch of issues with respect to how we how we solve the the problem of violent countering violent extremism inside the Muslim community. Um, and there were some shuyukh that stood there right on the podium and uh, um, and talked about uh, you know how it's important to de-radicalize Muslims or that Muslims shouldn't be radical or this is how I how I do my thing etc. Except that the plan itself said things like well how do you become how do you become a radical what actually makes you one what makes you an extremist um, and it turns out that the book itself this was supposedly a grassroots effort um, reading Ibn Taymiyyah yes um, 
you know, that, that sort of thing. Now, one of the things that I found out about this particular sheikh that was there on the podium is that he likes Ibn Taymiyyah. I mean, he quotes Ibn Taymiyyah often in his khutbahs and his lectures. And yet, you know, here he is talking about radicalism and, uh, and being deferential to somebody who is from the national security state, happens to be a Muslim, but is simply getting a lot of the information on what is or what is not good Islam from the U.S. government. And that particular source as to what, what, makes, Ibn Tay- what makes Ibn Taymiyyah a bad guy um, when it comes to... Uh, um, when it comes to uh, um, deciding whether or not if somebody reads it, are they are they more likely to be a, uh, a terrorist or less likely to be a terrorist? That comes from the U.S. military. Yes. Um, and so we get these we get these sources from the U.S. military that that define all of these things, and then Muslim leaders are now supposed to adopt this as if it is the truth. Um, and that's that's what I have some trouble with. And and of course, you know, you could say that. Uh, well, you know, scholars should really be reading things, etc. That that of course would be the case, but we do have this culture of trusting people, being deferential to people, and not necessarily realizing that the wool is trying is being pulled over our eyes here. Well, it's not just about trusting the differential. For me, I, I personally, my personal position on this is I would like to see a, a, a total separation with regards to the relationships. Because um, just to give you an analogy. Uh, they did a meta-analysis of all of the uh, uh, the drug studies that are coming fr- that are funded by pharmaceutical industry companies, and uh, right. despite them being really good science, and there is no kind of uh, problematic issues with how the studies are conducted, even when they controlled for all of the factors, they found that there is a, a 30% uh, increased likelihood of the drug to be shown to be pen- beneficial if the study was funded by a pharmaceutical industry company, um, sure. which is, this is kind of like, you know, this conflict of interest, despite your best efforts to try to be as authentic to the tradition as you might want to be, just by being involved with the government, that is going to skew your perception to a degree. And you're going to come up with certain statements that could be problematic. My particular issue with the whole CVE and the government involved in it is it, um, it's 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 really um, it's this in the, under the larger scheme of the Muslim leadership. When young Muslims are getting involved with the government, the government, by its very ent- uh, nature, by definition, is a pragmatic entity. And so, it, for me, politics is kind of where principles go to die, and religion is based and built on right. principles. So, to go a little bit from the CVE and and all of these different programs that the government is having. With young Muslim activists that are looking to impact or impart change on the ground and they want to improve the Muslim presence, how do you see their approach right now as it stands um, in relation to their authenticity? Is it harming it? Is it benefiting it? Are they kind of going astray? Is there a trajectory that is a little bit dangerous right now, do you think? Sure. Um well, money money certainly influences behavior, and and you identified a study. Of course, there have been many studies and, and that that have to do with politics or with virtually anything else. Um, I myself am a lawyer. Um, that's what I do. I have clients, and I act. I can. Be, I'm essentially I'm essentially a hired gun without the gun. I mean, I um, I I do things for clients, and the clients paying me influences what I do. And and there's. 
that's a that's pretty much a known thing about lawyers, and uh, and everyone can see how that works. But if you go and say that you're going to be a community organization, but you're getting money from a source that does not really have that much of an interest in you being a community organization, they have an interest in you being a service provider for them, and their agenda, which is focused on national security, and that of course does focus on problematizing the Muslim community. Uh, beyond all else, right? That's uh, that is the focus, and so there's a national security type of focus. Now, the other types of focuses might be might have to do with people from outside of the Muslim community wanting to um, take an interest in in the Muslim community and um, building building their own groups of leaders for other purposes. Now, they there is some there is some similarity. Um, between between the two groups, uh, you know, when you're talking about something like MLI and and of course the national security folks, there a lot of them are the same people, um, and uh, and and so we we do we do see that quite often. Um, the other part of it is that we are seeing within the Muslim community um, a significant amount of unmooring um, from principles of Islam, uh, and uh, and so we we have Islam being more and more racialized now racialized i guess racializing is a process that happens from the outside but then from from the muslim community itself it doesn't necessarily mean that you 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 believe anything or have any real principles um and uh and your principles might be might be quite different as well so you talked about the idea that well what if people on their own Think that they want to go to the government, and they they think that this is a, a major problem. And uh, you know, I'm talking about radicalization. Well, it's certainly the case that we as a community are going to have very different opinions on things, right? I mean, um, one of the things, one of the big issues that happen here on our local Muslim community, which is obviously a, an issue that has nothing to do with the United States, is uh, is the coup in Egypt, um, and uh, that actually divided the Muslim community uh, quite dramatically. In that there were some there were some Muslim leaders, um, some prominent Muslim leaders who supported uh, General Sisi and and his coup, um, and and so I think in terms of well, what if there were Muslim leaders that supported Pinochet or they supported the war in Vietnam or or various other types of um, atrocities that have occurred in history? Um, those are fundamentally different values in many respects. Yes. Now a lot of those same people, of course, went on to support. Uh, they might support Israel, or they might support um, they might support CVE, or they they tend to be they they tend to have more of an authoritarian outlook um, when it comes to their politics, and and we do see that a lot with with CVE, and so I, I don't necessarily discount the 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 notion that a lot of this is is maybe genuine, a lot of this is uh, um, trusting in government or being being close to government institutions um, because you actually because some people like being close to government institutions and close to power. I think that's actually a, I think it's an important point because the whole idea of being allied to power. I mean, nobody is immune to that. And and my own observation is that for a lot of us coming up, you know, some of the younger generation. And I don't know if this is a motivation for some people, or it's a, you know it's in their subconscious or whatever. But there's a feeling of a need of uh, a need for validation, right? We to be validated by people in, around your community. And I feel like for some people, they get that validation they never got in whatever other arenas they were through these through these uh, these avenues uh, related to the government. Whenever someone's going to say to you, like you know, or give you a path, like if you do this, you know, you're going to be an expert. 
um, and you know you're going to be put into leadership. You know that's sort of a buzzword these days a lot. Even just in our own communities, like we're raising, we're trying to raise up leaders. You know, everyone's supposed to be a leader, and I think this sort of keeps on getting in our heads. And and yes, there's that's there's important that's that's important to 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 develop people with leadership qualities. But when we focus a lot about that, I think you know the, the ego always comes into play. I mean, you talk about conflict of interest, but there's a conflict of ego as well. And I feel that uh, that that's one of the dangers for um, getting involved with some of these initiatives or these government-run programs is that they give you this path where you seem like you're going to have a lot of influence, you're going to have a lot of position, and that can be hard to turn down. I, I'm not going to cast blame on anyone, but I think it's just a natural thing that it's it's that's a th- hard hard thing to turn down. Right, I I do see that, and um, I I understand um, what happens in the Muslim community and in certain other areas, even. Um, even in Southern California, we're just so removed from what is occurring in, uh, in say, the D.C. area, where sometimes I get the impression that the Muslim community is quite different and there's a lot more focus on security because there's a large security industry there. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, and so that's going to, that's going to affect um, the Muslim community in that particular, in that particular region. Um, as, far as, uh, as far as things like... Uh, Countering violent extremism, of course, that was that's just a, a buzzword. When people use it, they are referring to something very specific, which is a, a public-private partnership. Um, to the extent that people feel that there might be specific problems with individuals in their community, that's kind of a normal thing that's always happened. There have always been people who have had issues, and you have people that give, you know, they, they give nasiha or they want to make sure somebody gets their gets tarbiya and th- those sorts of things, and that that often gets conflated with what the government wants to do. Um, and so we have about a hundred Muslim organizations. These are grassroots. A lot, most, a lot of them are legitimate Muslim organizations that have been around for a long time, um, that are asking for government money for countering violent extremism. Um, because the money is on the table, they're going to want to, to get it. Um, and so there's, that's, that's another, that's another aspect of it. And then what happens over the long term, once you actually get this money, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we do have, we do have this issue of, uh, of entanglement with, uh, um, with re- religion and the government, um, that is, that's fundamentally unhealthy. And this would be even for more, um, more well-known or established Muslim leaders where this, this could potentially come up as well. Not merely just those that are young or that are just looking for careers or looking to be in government, um, government buildings or think tanks or the Aspen Institute or whatever other, whatever other perks there are to being accepted in American society as an elite. This point, this point about being accepted in society, in American society, um, to what extent do you see uh, the behavior of many of the so-called Muslim leaders, especially the young ones, being driven primarily by concern for acceptance because um, the government involvement is one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is all of the different social movements that I could tell you just from sitting down with, um, you know, shiuch and teachers and and just uh, hearing some of the reactions that they have to how some young Muslim activists are acting out or uh, the initiatives that they're being involved in. Um, Behind closed doors, there's a lot of disapproval. Uh, of their behavior, uh, is is uh, are these activists connected with teachers? Do they sit down and and have some form of guidance there? Because a lot of their behavior sometimes it's antithetical to clear injunctions in the Quran, and it seems that a lot of it is driven by we want to be we want to make sure that we're part of the society and accepted as 
kind of quote unquote liberal, inclusive, progressive. We accept everything. Um, you know, yeah, the Quran says this and that about this other issue, this or that issue, but don't worry about it. We we uh, we can put that aside. We live in America. We're Americans first. We're dem- uh, we're all about democracy and and uh, individual rights and almost the community kind of takes a backseat. The the idea of a community. Um, I, I you being with Isna and kind of seeing this a little bit more on the grassroots level at a, from an organizational perspective. Is there a concern about this at all? I mean, because CVE is just the latest kind of thing. But before CVE, there was a lot of this push towards kind of almost uh, dismantling a lot of the fiqhi issues, a lot of their jurisprudence, and lack of concern with spiritual development for the sake of pragmatic political advancement. Right. So I'm. Um, I'm actually. Let me just uh, make a little bit. Uh, make a little something clear. I guess I'm. I'm the West Zone representative for ISNA, which means I'm on their uh, executive council, and I'm. Relatively new at ISNA, um, just in terms of being in their in their leadership, and I, I definitely do not speak for ISNA, so I don't want anybody getting that impression. Um, you know, ISNA is not the ISNA as an organization, as best as I'm aware, hasn't really taken a position for or against uh, um, CVE, for example. Um, it's the role of ISNA has been primarily as a convener. Um, of of ideas and of course many shayukh come many of these uh, many people who are um, social activists also come um, and it's a it's a it's a big open a, a relatively open forum for a lot of what's taking place in the Muslim community of course by that I mean you know the Isna convention in particular which is kind of the signature event of the of the organization so so you'll see people you'll see Muslims from from many different per, you know, political persuasions come over and. Uh, and and speak um, and address address what they want. Now, from my own perspective, with respect to this this idea that there are, of course, going to be a lot of people who are who are maybe un, unmoored in in many respects. But at the same time, it's not just saying that it's young Muslim leaders or young Muslims that are that are subject to this. I mean, it's of course uh, the older ones, even some of the more, more learned ones, who may be. Who may be susceptible to to all of this? Um, if you if you find yourself in in a particular world, um, you're going to where 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 there's uh, there's a thought process about about this or that, and you're you want to you want you're looking for allies and you're looking for friends in a particular area, um, and you don't want to be rejected. You might start to adopt those. Uh, um, you might start to adopt those types of. Uh, um, th- those types of views. I mean, you're going to start looking a lot, a lot like them. Uh, someone actually, I, I read this pretty recently. I thought it was a, a, a brilliant. Like, you know, if you if you ever meet somebody who spends a lot of time near a slot machine, I mean, who's always playing the slots, you're going to start to realize that that person resembles a slot machine in many many respects. Right? Um, you're going to end up becoming a lot like the company that you keep. Um, and so uh, you're you're going to um, you know you're 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 that's that's just a that's just a normal that's just a normal thing. At the same time, there are some great examples of Muslim leaders who will work with organizations in in, uh, in social justice, economic justice, those areas, and still maintain their principles quite strongly. Um, and aren't going to say things that, and they're going to be upfront about. Look, this is uh, this is a theological perspective in my religion. Um, I really can't deal with that issue or that issue. Um, and uh, you know, I if uh, if if you feel bad about that, too bad. But uh, for the most part, whenever that does happen, those people are respected. 
um, people tend to be respected when they take a strong position um, on their views. And if, if they're not respected because they believe in their their religion and, and the tenets of their religion, then that's probably not a good place to be. Right. And so um, you'll, you'll see you'll see that uh, you'll you'll see both both things. And I've, I've seen that. And I I definitely respect a lot of Muslims who who go into uh, who go into um, civil, the, the civil rights arena and social justice and economic justice areas, because um, because it's very possible for Muslims to maintain their principles there. And to some extent, even within government, I mean, it's possible for Muslims to work in government um, and be be principled. Um, as well, uh, you know, I, I, they wouldn't necessarily be Muslim community leaders by virtue of their having the government position, um, because that that does represent maybe something of a conflict of interest, especially if in they're in the they're in the national security arena. But uh, but you know, you you could maintain uh, you could maintain your principles under even very difficult circumstances. So I have a question with regards to because we uh, uh, a lot of yeah. this goes back to the CVE issue. So uh, if if you get asked. Um, do you think Muslims have a problem with radicalization, regardless of, you know, let's put the issue of defining what radicalization is. But the, the fact is there are some Muslims that pick up some ideology, whatever the ideology is and wherever it comes from, and they decide to act upon it in violent means. If uh, Do you think this is an issue that Muslims need to deal with? And if so, how would you suggest we should deal with it? I don't necessarily think that it is an issue that the entire Muslim community should deal with. It would probably be in a list of priorities if we were to make priorities of the Mus of what the Muslim community should be focused on. Um, it would be it would be down in the in in the hundreds um, in terms of in terms of a priority. Um, I, I think that. Uh, more than being, say, a radical or extremist, I think uh, people should focus more on coming to the masjid regularly. I mean, that if I were to, that would be a much higher priority uh, with respect to working within the Muslim community. Um, we don't really make public policy based on the kind of data that we have on the Muslim community. So, for example, in the city of Chicago, um, uh, this is uh, this has been pointed out uh, a few times before in the context of CVE. Um, there are about 150,000 gang members, right? in the entire city of Chicago. Now, you look at like um, ISIS during its height, um, as I recall, it was about 40,000 people yeah. from drawing on a worldwide population. Yes. Um, and any given night in the United States, you'll have over a million teenage girls sleeping on the streets, right? Um, we, we talk a lot about these, or we don't necessarily talk about, but there are a lot of articles um, about, uh, say, Muslim women who go on the internet and they feel like they they fell in love with some guy in Syria or some such thing. Um, there was some news about it a little while ago. And, and this to me just sounds like um, a lot of stories that happen outside of the Muslim community. The only difference is they don't happen in the Muslim community nearly as much as they happen outside the Muslim community. So um, I, I don't think that we should uh, we should actually make public policy based on very, very small numbers. So um, he, what we this should is a, do, I mean, a very good point. I just not to cut you off, but this is, a, uh, this is actually a good thing to point out. Um, Newt Gingrich was asked, uh, I can't remember which, I think it was CNN interview or something. And he was asked about uh, the difference between facts and opinions or feelings or whatever. And he said, as far as we're concerned, we don't really, you know, you can quote facts all you want with public policy and numbers, but the fact is people have a particular perception and I would rather go with people's perception than to go with the facts. So while the facts may not speak to uh, like what you say would be shocking to a lot of people, what do you mean it's going to be down in the hundreds on the list of priorities? I mean, don't we have 
this in the news all the time. And the fact is, yeah, it's you're right. 150,000 gang members in one city trumps, you know, 40,000 at the highest of their uh, existence from all over the world. Yet the perception that people have is that we have a problem. And unless we deal with this perception, so that's really where the question is. There is a perception that Muslims, for whatever reason, have uh, a strand within them, a strain of people that are prone to becoming extremists. So whether you like it or not, whether the facts speak to this or not, this perception is predominant in the forefront of many people's minds. So how do we deal with this now if we're not going to go with CVE? Right. So if somebody has a perception that is based on based on uh, otherizing Media. of a community, right? Um, and we're we're really talking about white supremacy here. Yes. Right? Um, and and the notion the notion here is that there needs to be some special attention paid to a particular community, not because the numbers warrant it, but because there is a perception. And then when you point out that, well, that's a perception that is wrong and is completely out of line with the numbers uh, dealing uh, that uh, that have to do with so many other communities right and then of course we have we have this whole issue of there being special laws for muslims mm -hmm. that really don't exist for others so for example flying to syria for example um you know to join isis that's that's a crime that's a um, that's material support. But if you want to fly to um, another city to join up with a white supremacist armed group, that's actually not a crime. Mm. Um, and and so we, we do have to we have to consider those types of facts as well. Historically, um, young people who might be uh, confused or whatever the case may be with them, or they might uh, they might feel adventurous or or whatever is going on inside their head. And I don't be a I don't pretend to be an expert on on young people and what individual young people do. I just know that the numbers are quite small. But uh, but this has actually happened for a very long time. People tend to go to war zones and find adventure um, in other places. Um, young people have done that for centuries. Um, and there's nothing really special about individuals within the Muslim community doing that. Um, and, uh, and I'm not, I'm not particularly shocked by it, um, that this is a special problem that the Muslim community needs to deal with that other people don't need to deal with is something I, I just don't, I just don't buy. Well, I was going to just say, so what would you say to someone who may argue that, okay, uh, yes, if you look at the numbers, it's 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 vin it's minuscule, which it, which it absolutely is. But that, from our community's perspective, we should be at a higher standard. We shouldn't have you know we should have like zero tolerance for for any of this type of uh, ideology or ideas or behavior in our community. So we're holding ourselves up to a higher standard. So we want to be even more you know more strict or more uh, you know emphasize more about you know eradicating any of these ideas or behaviors in our community. Um, even though the numbers don't maybe necessarily warrant, as you say, like that type of attention. What would you say to that? Well, that has to do with essentially astroturfing and hijacking the agenda of the Muslim community, right? Um, and so if we were to say, yeah, we're, we're supposed to be a higher standard, and that has to take the force of, of the government and the law that the Muslim that Muslims are, are forced to a higher standard, that is... Um, that's a pretty horrible situation for our, our community and for our children. We have to constantly be in this um, – we have to constantly be within this particular um, agenda of portraying Muslims as um, a, an inherently terroristic type of people 
and and that's something that we're expected our children to grow up with and and, and we're going to have um, we're, we're going to have our tarbiya, we're going to have our masjid programs, our khutbas, everything around trying to get our children to not become terrorists, right? Um, and and that's that's really what this is about. And so, what is Islam? Well, Islam is not being terrorist. So there's this one, uh, there's this one true Islam thing on the on the internet that uh, um, that's been circulating around by by this one group, and uh, um, and it ha- I think it has some 11 principles of, uh, of what true Islam is. And the first principle is that uh, um, we're all against terrorists. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not the first principle of Islam, um, you know, that, uh, that we're against terrorism. That's, 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 uh, that's what's happening to our, our community is that, well, you know, we're going to redefine Islam as being the not terrorist religion, right? Um, and, and so I, I actually don't want that. That's not Islam to me. I don't want that Islam taught i want that far away from my community and far away from my family that's interesting well i think part of it just has to do with our our history here in southern california but in the united states as well i mean a lot of this a lot a lot of this constitutes outreach a lot of it is uh, um and historically has been intelligence gathering um and uh, and it's really just uh, turning muslim leaders into agents of the government um and and our community not having um, independence, uh, theological independence, religious independence, and being able, being able to set our own agenda, have our own leadership, and uh, set our own priorities. This issue has been around for a very long time. It's not a unique to America, though. If you look at uh, just Islamic history in general, um, governments have always wanted to enlist leaders and scholars of the community to drive forward whatever they wanted to drive forward. Um, and it started with the Umayyads and it just continued on. So it's not particularly unique in that sense, which which really brings me to uh, a question that I wanted to ask about these young leaders right now and, and the role of, um, I'm just reminded by a passage that uh, the late Ali Izzet Bigovic, the uh, uh, past president of Bosnia, he, in his book, Islam Between East and West, he cites, uh, he has a, an interesting analysis where he talks about if you focus on violence externally and focus on whatever activists really happen to focus on, which is all external conditions, and neglect the internal, this is the most godless way of approaching change. Um, and the Quran has the verse uh, that where Allah does not change the conditions of a people until they change what's within themselves. My concern and a lot of my you know colleagues and and friends and teachers concern is with the internal state with a lot of uh, these Muslim leaders that are going up and, and having positions with government and interacting with government. And it just seems like a lot of their focus on is external conditions of the Muslim community. And it's now getting to a point where I'm seeing even um, uh, a direct dismissal of uh, uh, the internal conditions. And it's almost kind of uh, pejoratively said, this is just some uh, pacifist, uh, pacifist Sufism that you're preaching now. Get out of here with that. We need to have some real change on the ground for us to move forward. And I think that's the challenge that we're facing is there's this idea that like, you know, that, uh, okay, the spiritual stuff, yes, but you know, it's, Islam is about action. It's about fighting injustice, which it is. Is spirituality, is it the anchor? Is it something we just say from time to time? That's, I think, where everyone's navigating about where where its role is in the external realm. And I think that it's going to be different for different people. We're always going to be pretty diverse in how we approach things. Um, and, uh, 
and so yeah, there's going to be people that are going to be um, that are going to be more internal because they just need to they just feel that that's the best thing for them, and they 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 have the they have teachers that teach them that, um, and uh, and mentors and such, and and other people um, feel this need to go external and and fight injustice and maybe even get a little bit unmoored or or what have you, um, and uh, and that that could that could happen. Um, but I think that it's uh, as as a community, I think it would be useful for us to remind each other when we go too far this way or or too far too far that way. Um, and and that's that's a that's a normal part of our community, I think. Yeah, that's an important point. I think I think there's a tendency, you know, we you know, and as you said in the very beginning, when we specialize in certain areas. So if I become a certain activist in a certain cause, you know, I'm surrounded in that. By people in like like-minded in that cause, there's a certain dialogue that happens. There's certain ideas that that are that are you know present there. And then when they when if that if that person in that sort of silo of of that specific activist cause then is say speaking to somebody in a completely different realm, and then one person says, well, no, Islam is this. It's this activism. And then the other person, another thing, maybe doing some pursuit of knowledge or something. This, they say Islam is this, and I think what you said is important because it's all of those things. Uh, I think the problem is we're so stuck in our certain specialized uh, areas of of uh, of interest that uh, we feel that the whole all of Islam is what we're doing, uh, as opposed to that no, it's it's everything. It's the whole whole comprehensive collection of all all the Muslims and what they're doing, all sorts of different right. things that they're doing. So in our activism, Ahmed, I just want to ask, like, okay, so government is problematic because of all the reasons that we've listed and all of these conflicts of interest and whatnot. Is there any realm where, or is there a, would you recommend, a, I don't know, a, a recipe for, um, because we can't avoid involvement with government at all. I mean, we're not living in a state of nature. Mm -hmm. You have to get involved in some capacity. So the question now is, uh, for Muslim activists out there and Muslims that want to get involved with government, like where where is the line? Where should they draw the line? Well, I, I think that um, getting involved even with the government is generally, I mean, it's generally going to be fine, right? I mean, there are going to be people who um, might be in the government and as a result of being in the government, they are they might find themselves in a privileged position within the Muslim community or or purport to be a Muslim community leader or sometimes simply uh, say that they're really a community leader when they're actually taking marching orders from the government. Um, that's where, of course, it becomes problematic. Um, government by itself or becoming an activist or being on the city council, etc., is, uh, is not a problem at all. And in fact, it could be beneficial. I think one of the more important things, especially especially along the lines of what you're talking about earlier, um, is... Uh, when you get caught up in your own individual circles um, and uh, you're, you're trying to achieve, you're trying to achieve prominence within a within a particular field, it's really helpful to be grounded and to have um, good teachers and good mentors and good friends in in other areas. And and of course, you know, the masjid, of course, is a really really important part of of a Muslim a Muslim's life a Muslim family's life the fact that the masjid has become a lot less important over time and uh, and particularly with you know maybe it's more of a generational thing maybe it's not maybe it's always been that way um, but to the extent people um, are leaving the masjid and leaving their community um, for whatever the reasons are for that that to happen um, is is really detrimental because then you get you get caught up in a in a completely different world, and and part of it is also uh, 
this uh, this whole thing with uh, um, the way um, the way these uh, these the bubbles that people put themselves in um, they they don't necessarily realize what damage they might be doing to other aspects of the Muslim community and so if you're if you're always in in a cocktail circuit or you're going to particular types of parties or or what have you but you're representing the um, the aspirations or the um, the aspirations of the of the larger Muslim community somehow there's going to be a disconnect that masjid plays that central role before when the masjid had a central authority in our community and in our discourse in terms of authority not like you know, government authority but just that that's position of standing you know so if I was you know I would be doing something a certain activity or another person's going doing something with the government or what have you they would still be convening in the masjid and you would be interacting with those different circles of people Maybe that maybe that's one of the problems is that the the, the devaluing of the masjid in our communities. Um, it's something that seems to be getting worse, especially along a certain generation, a younger generation, where they just feel they don't need the masjid that they can just they can you know be good Muslims and 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 do their own thing in their own you know right. circles. And uh, to the extent that uh, people do fall in, including including within the masjid as well, because Absolutely. you know you tend to have circles within the masjid, and that might. That might exclude people who might otherwise be interested in coming into those circles. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, the masjids. Um, there's so many problems with the masjids and excluding people. And I mean, a lot of I think all of us can attest to that. Um, there's definitely major sure. issues in the masjid, but at the same time, I, I worry that there's a there's a tendency, especially among the younger generation, to just because of the experience we had growing up, maybe we were uh, marginalized, maybe we were excluded, maybe we weren't even allowed. And we just feel like the whole institution is irrelevant, and I think that's that's what scares me is that this feeling that the masjid is it's, well, it's, you know, it's just a place where we do worship. You know, it's not that um, that important a role in our everyday life. When we lose that, we're losing what you know that anchor that is essential in how we navigate through a lot of these um, you know very challenging times that we're we're right. dealing with. And of course, um, outside organizations, outsiders from the Muslim community, including governments, including nonprofits of, uh, you know, outside the Muslim community, such as think tanks, might take advantage of that and uh, develop its own definition of what the Muslim community might be like in the future, develop its own leaders, develop its own um, ideological platform. Um, and and then we have to end up uh, having to having to discuss or comment on that in that Oh my gosh, these people are talking about Islam, but that's not even Islam at all, or you know th- those sorts of things. It becomes a uh, it, it it becomes much more toxic uh, within uh, within the Muslim community um, overall, and and a lot of it just has to do with well, where is the Muslim community anchored? I mean, if it's not anchored at the masjid, um, somebody else will decide to anchor it for us. No, it's, I I think the masjid is uh is the masjid unfortunately has is devalued because it has been reduced to a, simply a place where you just go and do your prayers, and that's all you do. Um, and uh, most masjid I've seen, the great majority of the ones that I've seen do not entertain doing anything beyond let's just get together for our jama'ah, let's do the taraweeh. Ramadan is the busiest time of it, and again, it's all to do with acts of worship. But it seems to have a uh, total disinterest in involving anything to do with the world. So the idea of applying, and this is really where my concern is with a lot of the current up and uh, up and coming uh, Muslim leaders. There is a disconnect between the Islamic teachings and what they're doing out there, and I think it has to do with this gap that the Masjid is not fulfilling right now, where they can show them how to apply 
you know, these principles you're being taught in the masjid and in Islam in a real world scenario. And so they're ending up trying to seek acceptance, social acceptance, political acceptance in whichever way they can find it. And they believe genuinely, I think they're being sincere, most of them, they genuinely think that they're bringing benefit to the community. But if you look at the overall impact of what they're doing, I think it's harmful. I uh, like just to bring it back again to the CVE issue. I'm, I'm of the opinion of you should not, there should never be any program whatsoever, whether community level or government level, because the, this in itself is, is a problem. If, uh, um, I mean, if I look at the seat of the Prophet, وسلم, this, this is a, a, a pol political problem brought about by particular policies of the government focus on us as a community to try to solve it. Meanwhile, they're ignoring the white supremacists. They're ignoring all of the other hate groups that are doing whatever they're doing. There's no programs for them. Um, and the young Muslims, unfortunately, because they, again, you're young, you're full of zeal. Shabab is, you know, in Arabic, it comes from fire kind of burning up. And the problem with them, if this fire is not being directed properly, it's burning everything up. This, uh, this national, that has to do with the Muslim community having this national security focus. Um, and, and that might be changing now. I mean, we, we're, we're in this environment where the, the, the way, the way the internal Muslim politics played is that there would be a group of Muslims that would go to the government and say, we're the good Muslims and those other people, they're the bad Muslims. Right. And, um, and so there are different groups that essentially like to play this game. Um, and then it's a, it's a game of who the bad Muslims are. Um, would it be the Salafis or would it be some made up term um, that, uh, that people, that people might be marketing, um, et cetera. Um, now that is, that's changed with this new administration and that the good Muslims are the people that, uh, um, that are, are, are really just right wingers who, um, have who are Islamophobes who actually don't like Islam, don't like, um, don't like Rasulullah They don't like the Quran. They they're they're against all of these things, and yet they call themselves Muslims. And those are the only acceptable Muslims for the incoming Trump Trump administration, at least so far. Now that's po it's possible that that might change, and that they might have their favored people within the Muslim community. Um, but uh, but it might be that the politics of CVE inside the Muslim community might be changing in the next few months. I should say, though, that there are some CVE advocates that uh, were supporting Trump. Um, and, oh, that's uh, and so there might be some CVE, um, there might be some CVE opportunities still uh, going forward. Uh, in my view, though, it's going to be a little bit different. It won't be as overt. Um, people won't be as open about what CVE or their sources of funding. What happened before was that when we had this wise philosopher King Barack Hussein Obama, who um, you know everybody would uh, everybody doesn't mind being or actually or I should say many Muslims don't mind being associated with him. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, <laughs> but being associated with Trump is um, is a little bit more challenging within the Muslim community. Um, and, and it might be more so going forward. So um, I, I think that the Trump administration might provide for some opportunities for some broader unity within the Muslim community, including those people who have been very um, authoritarian in their outlook, people who have been um, very pro-CVE. Um, they, they, might, they might actually uh, they might modify their stances a little bit. I can't obviously speak for them since I'm not one of them, but, uh, but it seems like it's untenable um, to maintain a position that you had when you were 
um, when you were working with the Obama administration versus working with the Trump administration? We're going to you know, close it up here, but I just want to throw this the last question out to both of you. You know, everybody typically has good intentions. They they think they're doing good. You know, some of the people on on both sides they they think they're they're doing the best thing for Muslims, the Muslim community. What is the thing that you think is going to anchor them to just keep them to to caution them that this is what you need to always remember when you're doing this work? Well, I mean, I think a lot of unfortunately the frame that we've had so far has been this engagement versus non-engagement, which is which is the wrong frame. We should always engage, but we should have principles, and we need to be able to develop as a community what those principles are. Otherwise, you're really just um, you're really just engaging in the same way that a doormat engages with a boot, right? And so you want to. Um, so I, I actually would like to. One of the things that I'd like to convene. I mean, if, if this could be Isna or this could be uh, this could be somewhere else. Um, if we can convene some rules of of ethics um, that pertain to um, the Muslim community and um, engaging engaging with government, with uh, with community groups, with even with civil rights groups and, and everyone else, I mean, if we if we can actually um, write all of this stuff down and have uh, you know have leaders from the Muslim community, the uh, the the shayukh, everybody get together and determine. What is what is ethical um, within our tradition, and, and then we have some grounding, and we can we can actually learn this and teach this, um, and understand well because there isn't much guidance on this stuff. I mean, there isn't, uh, you know, there there are some people that might say, you know, this is bad or this is good or, or or what have you. But as a community, we should actually get together and perhaps convene and and agree on these these principles um, because my principles might be different from other people's principles, but. Um, if we get together as a community and determine that uh, determine that together as broadly as possible, um, I, I think we I think we might uh, we might have a really good start, and 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 this should be something that hopefully will um, will legitimately ground a lot of people that are well-meaning and well-intentioned. And if you're if you're moving away from these ethical principles, um, you know it uh, it automatically would become suspect as long as this is something that is widely. Um, widely accepted within the community. That's just my thought on this. Uh, just to tick uh, off from that, I would just say even being well-intentioned is not enough. Um, you know, it's you could have the best of intentions and then end up killing somebody. That's not, you need to question yourself and don't believe everything you think. Uh, always be, instead of, uh, you know, uh, being always casting the doubt on everybody else, I mean, to question yourself and just see if you're on the right path with what you're doing be accuse yourself first before you accuse anybody else it's like this proverb i don't know how it goes but with when you point the finger at at somebody remember you got three others pointing back right at you from your own hand so um i would just tell a lot of these young people to just uh watch out and and ahmed is right we we don't have a clear framework for uh, for the ethical principles of engagement um we always go from the perspective of reactionary politics like we're being pointed to and asked to do something and we react and do something rather than a proactive engagement where we come to the table as equals as opposed to, um, you know, uh, subservient to the powers that be, whatever these powers might be. So, yeah, I would say that uh, we need to have kind of a, a, a an overall national dialogue where we come together and have the Muslim, le- like Chiyuch, the scholars, explain to us like the ethical principles that we should adhere to and uphold in our discussions. And even if we come to different conclusions and want to follow different paths, 
at least we are grounded in the same kind of grounding, the ethical grounding that we have. So yeah, it's um, but this requires some work. It's not going to happen overnight, of course. No, it's not. But I think it's something that that really should be done, and I'd like I'd like to see that, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. inshallah. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Ahmed uh, uh, for being on the program with us, Mohammed uh, as well. Um, it was a very uh, interesting discussion that I hope will continue. And um, as as you were just saying, um, uh, definitely a need for continued dialogue about the, the ethics of engagement and and how we're going to navigate um, not just the next four years, but uh, much longer than that. So thanks again, Ahmed. Um, we look forward to seeing more from you and hearing more from you in ISNA and Muslim Matters and all your other forums. If anyone was trying to reach you specifically, is there any contact that you could provide or some how to follow you or follow your work? Yeah, so um, my website for, um, I do I do Islamic Inheritance, and it's uh, the website is islamicinheritance.com. Um, that's my that's my website, and uh, I am. You can find me on Twitter at Warren Shake. Great. Okay. So thanks again of, uh, to everyone. Thanks to the listeners for um, joining us today. Again, be sure to check out our website imanwire.com for the latest articles and the latest podcast episodes. Uh, we hope to see you again. Uh, Assalamualaikum. Awesome.